Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for tuning in again today. We are on a roll here with with video editions. Um, The snowy winter weather continues here where we live, and so work is slow and time is plentiful. Um, And so thank you for joining us again today for... Um, another episode of the program. You can always find us 24-7 online at pathtozion.com. That's where all of these episodes land. And of course, as we often reference, there are over two years worth now of audio recordings there, many that just started on a little handheld recorder um, as I would drive around in my truck. Um, For a year, the podcast was not even named. And uh, so there's plenty of content on there. I would like to think that most of it is something that I would still say I believe (laughs) um, and would be accurate today as well. Um, But thank you for joining us today. I am trying to check some levels just a little bit. I don't want to sound too distracted. Um, We're obviously working with some different equipment set up. And I just want to thank everyone again who has given to this program. Um, There are a handful of individuals that have given us literal money, funds to, to get us equipment. And it's such a blessing. It's, it's very humbling that people would, would give anything to, to someone like me for an endeavor like this. And so I'm very grateful. And I always just want to put out there because people do want to do that. Um, send us an email at pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and let us know if that's something you would be interested in doing. We're we're in need of more things to make this more, not just professional, but just to, uh, like, anything we spend to, to, to allow this to happen, we just pay out of our own pocket. It's, 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 it's part of what we do and why we're here. It's a pleasure. It's a, it's a blessing from the Father. And we also like to open it up a little bit to anyone who would like to join us in continuing the program. It's not like... <laughs> This is some telethon where if, if you don't give today, brother, we're going off the air tomorrow. No, we, we trust the Father. And if this goes off the air tomorrow, then so be it. Um, but I don't believe that's, that's what's in our immediate future. But you know what? Who knows? Whatever the case, the path to Zion and rediscovering the ancient way is going to happen face-to-face and in living rooms and in gatherings where the people of Yahweh gather. So it's not like it can be stopped or thwarted. And that, in this hour, that needs to be something that we talk about to remind one another and to remind the church as she's, she's panicking, fleeing to other platforms and different media, and she's just nervous she's going to lose her voice and she's just going to be hidden away. Friends, it can't be. It cannot be. The same principle that we see in the New Testament where... Where, where all the accusations are coming that, that Shaul Paul and, and the, the, the first century church was, was redefining Torah and, and tearing down the temple and eliminating all of Jewish culture. The accusation, which were tr- clearly told in the scripture, was not true, that they were false accusations from, from the, the religious ones who had set in their own laws, their own oral traditions, and, and basically, what, what, what was the story? The story unfolded to say, look, if these men are from God, just leave them alone. It will, it, will, it will remain. If this is from God now, it will remain and continue. If it's of men, 
If it's outside of the Father, paraphrased, it will go away. They'll go away if this is not of the Father. And guess what? Here we are in the year 2021. It has not gone away. And it will not go away. Friends, don't worry about you being silenced and you being hidden away and you being censored and, you know, somebody blurred out my Facebook page today. You know what? Who cares? Who cares? Do you Can the gospel be silenced? Can the eternal word of God, can the eternal word of God be silenced? No. We are just going to have to adapt. We're going to have to adapt because it's coming, friends. It is coming in this land of the free and the home of the brave. As we talked about for, for 13 parts in the series that we just wrapped up, your liberties, your constitutional rights are going out the window very soon. Your right to do this and to do that, they are going away. They're going away. We are going to have to be a mature people who hear what the Spirit is saying and are found doing, walking, speaking accordingly. What? Faithful. To do what we've been continuing to do. Man, there's been a lot of discussions in our home um, in the last 48 hours or so. We've talked about Daniel. Um, a gathering we were in on Shabbat, Saturday, Sabbath. <laughs> I have to remember who I'm talking to in this program. It's a broad audience. In the gathering we were we were in, we we had already talked in our household about Daniel. Um, the morning at breakfast before we went to that gathering, we were talking about Daniel, and it came up in the gathering, the 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 account of course of Daniel. And the, the interesting thing that I think would be good for the church of this exact moment to get and to gain from these men who have gone before us are things such as this, which is what? Dan the decree was made. A document was presented that was instated to thwart, I mean, specifically written. This document was, was specifically written and in, in its actual formation was to trick Daniel, trap him, and convict him, if you will, of a, of a crime, of a law, of an edict, of a statute. And because this new law was put into place for his detriment, he had the option of changing his behavior, changing what he had always done. And that's what I love about that scripture. And we've got to get to what we're going to talk about today, but this has to be mentioned. This is awesome. Daniel went up into his home, went up on the roof, and he did what he had always been doing, facing Jerusalem and talking, communing with Yahweh, praying, he did what he had always been doing. He didn't defy the government. He didn't stand up and say, hey, watch this right here, right now on the street corner. I'm going to hold a sign, if you will, and I'm going to say the name of Yahweh. What are you going to do about it? Let's see what you got. No, because that's the verbiage of the church when we, when we read stories like Daniel. Look what Daniel did. He defied the decree. He did, but what did he do? And even the verbiage is very clear. He went to his house, closed his door, went up on his roof, and he prayed like he had always been doing. He merely continued what he was already doing. Now, thereby, he was brought before the king. Of course, we know the account. Thrown into the lion's den. What did he do? 
You can't do this. Unjust. Unfair. Okay. We're not even told. It doesn't even tell us what happened. (laughs) He is caught. Next thing we know, turn the page. He's in the lion's den, and the king is saying, may your God deliver you. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And what? Daniel's God will be our God. The scriptural pattern of a people surrendered to the sovereign hand of the Father. Everything that goes, the way it goes in my life is because he is ultimately in control of every single thing. And friends, we've got to remember that. Now, we're going to talk for a little bit today. I'm kind of excited to talk about this because it was stirring in me yesterday morning. Today is Monday. Um, It is January the 11th. And boy, is there a lot going on, a lot of murmurings, and people are nervous and anxious and afraid, and what's going to happen, and who's going to really be president, and who's going to storm the Capitol again, and who's going to rise up militiamen and take back the Constitution that's about to be assaulted, and uh, the affairs of men continue. But we, we're choosing to be ones who are above that, operating in a kingdom that's just, you know what, I'm not cramming it into this nation, and I've been asking, pleading with, with, with anyone who would listen for the last two weeks through the series we just finished, um, Inhabitants Who Were Meant to Sojourn, A Call to Come Out. Again, it, be, it became a 13-part, 12-hour video series. Um, we had no idea it was going to be quite that lengthy. But what do we want to talk about today? Oh, man, this is so good. Now, now back in February of 2020, almost a year ago to the day, I did a two-part audio series then, and I titled it From Nothing to the King's Table. From Nothing to the King's Table. Again, it was a two-part series, and basically what we talked about was the biblical account of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in 2 Samuel. And Mephibosheth, a a fun name to say, (laughs) um, is a very interesting character that, that we're given very little information about in the Bible, but what we are told about him is very profound. And I was thinking about him, I believe it was yesterday morning, and we're going to get to him momentarily. Um, but I want to share why I want to teach on this. The, there's two different scriptures we're going to look at. Second Samuel is one text, and the other is going to be First Peter. Um, we're going to go on both sides, if you will, of, of the Word of God. Um, and, and why will I be bringing this up in the way that I, that I will? And, and, and basically, it, it boils down to, it's the same reason I do most all of these podcast episodes, which is the majority church, the, the majority Christian um, teaching, pastors, preachers, teachers, videos, books, Bible studies, um, discipleship courses, they always like to generally focus on what we can just really elementary, elementary, simply describe as just favorable. Makes us feel better, reminds us of the good things, and those things are rightful and necessary, but, but the thing is, the, 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 there has to be balance within the teaching of the Word of God, and there has to be balance and so why I'm always generally, and, and anyone can label me a negative guy or a guy that's like, why are you always talking like judgment and gloom and doom and seriousness and, you know, like, do you ever smile or do you ever laugh? Well, I do. 
But it's just it's just like Shaul Paul, you know, like when he's writing these letters and then he came in person and they said, you know what, man, you're a real you're a real hard, harsh man in your letters. But like you're not much to look at really in person. What's the deal with you? I think there's something to that with any teacher or or any function we can say that any one of us are in the body of Messiah is we have functions. We have functions, and when you're in a function, it's not like you put on the clothes of a function and it's different than who you are, but there are times and places and circumstances where our functions come to the surface. And they what? (laughs) They function. They fulfill a purpose. And so my function, if you will, in part, is saying the both-and sides to what I'm always talking about in Christianity, which is the extreme um, fascination. We have those who say this and only this, and then we have those who say no, the complete polar opposite, this and only this, and there's no rightful median. There's no middle ground to be found. And so we always hear, you can turn on any YouTube channel right now, and you will hear to great length anywhere you look, anywhere you look, from prophets, so-called self-proclaimed prophets, to the Joel Osteens of the world telling you favorable, awesome things that the Bible promises you. Now, in many ways, those are true. Those are true. Now, there's a lot of prerequisites. There's a lot of if-you-wills, and, and, and when you do, you're a priest, you're an heir, you will inherit this, you will get this, get this, get that. Now, those things I'm not saying are not true, but nobody really wants to often talk about, with regularity anyway, the the prerequisites and demands upon what we must do in order for those things to actually come to pass and to be true for our identity. Um, Hard questions. You know, how do we know if we're really considered righteous? We're going to talk about that in a couple moments. How do we know that we're in the kingdom? Many have seen the kingdom. That's in in the uh, exchange between Yeshua and Nicodemus. Man, there's a whole bunch of people that have seen the kingdom. They've seen it. They've as we talk about often, they have perceived the kingdom. We know it exists, but there's not going to be very many that are actually going in. It's a narrow, narrow way. We know that. Can we be in the here and now in some of these things? What of the ones that are called to endure to the end? Um, so what I want to call today is, um, is, is very similar to the series I did back in February of last year. Same... same um, scriptural content, context, same reference, um, with a little bit of different twist. We're not going to go into it anywhere near as much as we did then, but it's going to be very similar. Um, but I'm naming today crippled at the table, barely delivered, crippled, excuse me, at the table, barely delivered. Now there's this song that I've known for years and basically the lyrics are about the Mephibosheth account. And, and the chorus goes on like he, he, he's repeating, crippled at the table. Um, crippled, I was carried to the table, crippled by your side. Um, and it's this, it's this, it's this understanding of the, the awesome principle within 2 Samuel, primarily chapter 6, that talks about this man, Mephibosheth, and what takes place. So we're just going to read that. But real quick to set the table, um, we're going to have to read who Mephibosheth even is. Now this begins, he's just, his name basically is just inserted 
in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Um, let's see, again, as we, we, you, you blow right by him. If, if his name wasn't so unique, you wouldn't even notice he was there. But in 4.4, now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he, Mephibosheth, fell, and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, this, this guy Mephibosheth, his name in the Hebrew is from the mouth of shame or from the mouth of the god Bashtu or Meribah. Okay, so he has, a, he has an awful name. From the mouth of shame is, is the meaning of his name Mephibosheth. Now, there's so many different layers in this. Um, we're going to skip to 2 uh, Samuel chapter 9. And, and I don't know how long this is going to be today. It might be lengthy, and that's okay. We're going to talk Bible, man. That, that's all we're going to talk about today. I'm so, I'm so presently over commentary and exposing the idolatry of this nation. It's been presented. People, praise the Father, are listening. Um, people are reaching out to us and would like to even get together and, and meet and talk about these things and, and pray the will of the Father over this nation. It's awesome, man. Some people are waking up. Now, it's not like because of our program, people are waking up to the... T- it, no, we're, we're, we're a, a tiny, tiny component of what the Spirit is saying in this hour. We're just trying to be faithful with the message we've been given. Um, so Mephibosheth, who again, his name means from the mouth of shame, or Mary Bow, he... Let's just read the text because, man, it's a whole lot better if we read it than if I just explain it, okay? Okay, so so again, we have all these different things happen from chapter 4 to chapter 9. We don't have time to cover them. David's having all these exploits and all these different things going on. Um, but we're moving on now, later into David's life, and he says this, quote, Is there yet anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness, show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. The king said, same thing, same question, now posed to him specifically, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet. Okay, so we know it's the the 2 Samuel 4, son of Saul, crippled in both feet. Um. And King David says, well, where is he? Ziba responds, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and he is in Lodabar. Now, Lodabar, if you go back and you listen to um, that podcast series that we did, From Nothing to the King's Table, we established how Lodabar was a land of nothing. It was a land of shame, fitting to Mephibosheth's name. It was a land of shame, of darkness, of hiding, um, no produce, no life. No word. That's, that's actually the closest depiction you can get to for lo debar is no word. There's no, there's no life there. There's, it's a land of nothingness. We established that um, back a year ago. Um, and so that's where he was living at the time. Um, verse 5, So King David sent and brought him Mephibosheth from the house of Machir, the son of, uh, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, and he prostrated himself. 
And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. Verse 7, David said to Mephibosheth, Don't fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. All right, let's stop there for just a minute. There are so many layers to this account. We could spend another five episodes on on it and not even rehash what we did a year ago. But the most interesting thing about this that, that is from the very beginning is Mephibosheth's condition. Um, I shared a lot in, the, in that previous series that Mephibosheth couldn't help his condition. He was at the bad news about his father and grandfather's death. He was dropped. He was broken from the very beginning. And, and if you go back to the actual verbiage in chapter 4, he was crippled in both feet. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell. Now, if I remember rightly, we did a word study on, on this word fell because it appears again in, in chapter 9. Now, this is deep stuff here. Don't miss this. This is, this, is, this is the incredible word of God. Mephibosheth fell in chapter 4, verse 4, at the, at the news of his father. And he became broken and crippled right then, right there for the rest of his life because he shows up again here, chapter 9. Um, and what happens again? This was so awesome when I discovered this a year ago. <laughs> this was so incredible. In verse uh, 6 of chapter 9, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, when he came to David, when he was brought before David, he fell. Okay? He not fell. And man, there's so much spiritual imagery within this. It's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And again, we dug that out the last time we went around this, this, this account. So please go back and listen if this is intriguing to you, because we're not going to get to the same level of it today. But there's this, there's this correlation within what broke him and then what is beginning to bring his restoration. Now, was he deserving? Was he, did he earn it in any way? Was it because of his greatness? Was it because of how awesome he was? No, he was a, he was a sorry man. He was a pathetic man. He was an embarrassment, shameful man um, in a land of shame with no life, no word, no, no, no living good. And the king, again, follow the imagery here, but on your spiritual man thinking, the king calls for the son, Mephibosheth. Now, who's the son? Who's the father? Well, Jonathan. Jonathan saw all this covenantal verbiage. David, because of his covenant with Jonathan now, brings Mephibosheth in. Mephibosheth, again, let's be clear, nothing of his own doing. You are Mephibosheth. Let's just make this elementary clear. You and I are Mephibosheth. We are him. Um, he is our identity. Um, there is no good in us. We dwell in a land of nothing. We are in our, in our sin, our shame, our depravity, we're hiding away with others like ourselves. I would like to say inhabitants of the land. I, I, I think this is synonymous with what we just covered in the inhabitants series that we just wrapped up and completed. I think this is synonymous with that. I think when you are a dweller in a land in this way, you settle for shame, darkness, and kingdoms of men 
governing authorities when you have been invited to sit at the king's table. Um, the king has called your name. I like that. I remember pointing that out, that out as well. David calls him by name and calls him in. And again, Mephibosheth fell. He, there's a restoration pattern within this eternal word of God in this text where when he not fell in chapter 4 and became broken, when the king called his name and beckoned him to come into his presence, he now fell again, and it begins his restoration. It begins a completion, a, a, a saving, a deliverance, a, an undeserved inheritance because of the covenant with the Father. Do you understand the imagery here? It's incredible. Man, this stuff's deep, man. Oh, gosh, where do we even go? <laughs> so David tells him in verse 7, don't be afraid, because, I mean, Mephibosheth thought, when you start looking into commentaries and stuff like this, Mephibosheth pretty much thought if he was ever called into the presence of the king, he was dead. Done for. Look at the pattern of his life. His father, his grandfather, he was hated, and he, he, he feared this to no end. He had to. And so David goes on to tell him these incredible things, though. And again, this is, again, the, the imagery of the covenant-keeping of the king, not based upon the, the shameful son. But he says, For the sake of your father Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Verse 8, what does Mephibosheth do? Does he brush himself off after he nafel in reverence and all? No. He goes back down to the floor. He doesn't stand up and like, oh yeah, right. You know who I am. No, no, no. He again prostrated himself. Now this prostrated is shaka. We talked about that word, the Hebrew word shaka. We talked about that in the Nothing to the King's Table series. Just more of a word study towards that. Shaka is just that, when you literally fall in reverence and worship before another. You literally, literally, literally put your face to the dirt in awe of being in someone else's presence. You can't believe you are being allowed in the presence of whoever it is you're right in front of. So he fell, begins restoration because he fell when he was an infant, broken, again, let's follow this through. He, he is called by the king. You can sit at my table. I'm restoring all things because of the covenant I had with your father. You are going to be at my table. I'm going to restore all these things to you. His, his response to that word, Mephibosheth's, is he shakas. He prostrates himself and says, What is your servant? that you should regard a dead dog like me. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, listen to this now, this is the dead dog, shameful one, who's been hiding away his whole life, broken. All that belonged to Saul, your grandfather, and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, bring him Bring in, rather, the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. 
Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. I'm not sure why we're told that. It seems irrelevant, but it's there nonetheless. But Mephibosheth shall eat at the king's table regularly. That's his new abode. So Ziba says, man, according to everything you've said, Lord, <laughs> okay. And uh, it goes on the latter parts of verse 11 of chapter 10 in 2 Samuel. So Mephibosheth, or uh, chapter 9, sorry, um, he ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Verse 13, he lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly, and he was lame in both feet. <laughs> Friends, you and I do not deserve to be at the king's table. We don't deserve. And that's, that's why I prefaced what I did with this, with this study, uh, teaching, whatever we call these things specifically, is because you can turn on anywhere, as I said, and you will hear all these awesome things about what you deserve to get because you're in Jesus now. But friends, we have got to remember we are Mephibosheth. Church, you are Mephibosheth. You're lame. You're shameful. You're hiding away in a land of darkness, wallowing in your own horribleness, horrible condition. And again, let's be clear, much of this we don't know to what extent, but Mephibosheth had circumstances outside of his own control that deemed him lame, deemed him broken. When he now fell, it had nothing to do with him. A horrible circumstance came, the death of his family, and someone in care of him that was nurturing him, holding him, whatever. It sounds very simple as just simply holding him in the horrible news that came, dropped him, and he became broken, lame. And he began a, a journey, if you will, of fulfilling his name's purpose, a man of shame, a shameful one. But the king asked about him, found out where he was, called for him, and Mephibosheth, the man of, of shame, for whatever reason, now we're not told. He may have thought he was being called to the king's courts to breathe his last. We don't know. But whatever the case, he did come. He did go. And because he went, he was extended something completely undeserved. The covenant of the king. <laughs> and the king's covenant said, you know what? I know who you are. Boy, I know you're broken. I know you're lame. I know you're full of shame and living in a land of absolute no word, no hope, no life, no nothing. I know your condition. He calls his name. The king calls the, the man of shame's name and says, you know what? You've got nothing to earn coming here into my presence. And so Mephibosheth's response, I'm saying to us, is absolute perfection. He prostrated himself. He shakah in the presence of the king and said, I am a dead dog. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know, king? You don't, and, I mean, this is just my take. You don't want me at your table. Don't you know who I am? But see, much of the church today of this hour 
says, yeah, we're awesome. We're God's elect. We're God's chosen people, man. We keep his commands. We love Jesus. Man, we do all the stuff. We keep all his laws, which we don't. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do all these things. We sit at the king's table. That is not what we see Mephibosheth do. And again, the pattern is clear. It's the covenant with the father. It's the covenant between the king and the father that redeemed Mephibosheth. Nothing of his own doing. He was not worth rescuing. He was not worth saving. He was not worth restoring in himself. But the covenant overrode his condition. The covenant replaced his sorry, pitiful, broken condition. And when he responded correctly and nafel, it began the restoration process. It began the redemption that moved him to then go prostrate in the presence of the king on his face, chest to the dirt now. I'm a dog, oh great king. Why should you regard me? Why should you bother with me? Because of the covenant that I made. Because I'm a covenant-keeping king. Praise the Father, man. How awesome is this stuff? How awesome. Yeshua Messiah, a covenant-keeping king, carrying out to the fullest, beckoning anyone who would come and just rightfully, willingly say, admit, dead dog, dead dog. But in the presence of the king, I'm eating at his table for the rest of my days. It's incredible, guys. It's incredible. We've got to openly confess. Because see, I I mean, do you see, and then we're going to bring this to a close. We'll make this two parts. We'll just keep going with these videos. (laughs) Do you see anywhere in this account what we see and then it just disappears? Mephibosheth doesn't hang around long in this account. In 2 Samuel. It's very small, man, but it's huge. Do you think anywhere in you from the little bit we're told about this man that he got to a place where he was like, hey, (laughs) extra dessert, please. Don't you know who I am? Bring me some more. (laughs) Give me a better chair at the table. Where's that gold chair? Bring it over here and let me hobble on over to it. I don't think we see that with Mephibosheth in the pattern we're given. I think he probably remained in a posture of shakal the rest of his days. I can't believe I'm in the presence of the king. Now, now to close the door on this, let's just think without turning and reading it. In the next part, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and talk about this as well. What's the parable of, of, that Yeshua tells us about the, the wedding banquet? Um, the, the master, is, is it the wedding banquet? I don't want to say something wrong. We know it's a dinner. We know it's a feast. And, and all these guests are assembled. And what's the prerequisite? We're right, right back where we started. There's a prerequisite. Put on, the, put on the clothes. Isn't it the wedding garments? Put on the clothes. Put on the required clothing to enter in and have your seat in your proper place. And that is what allows you to be in. Well, this crazy, arrogant guy somehow weasels his way into the feast 
gets the gets the the nicest chair beside the master the audacity of this man what a warning pulls up his chair leans back now get this scenario now he's surrounded by every single human being in the room wearing the let's just say for the sake of 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 imagery he's they're all wearing the white wedding garments with a, a gold you know design on it <laughs> everyone except him he's what he's in whatever he wore to town that day i'm good i don't need that thank you i'm very what i am sufficient in myself thank you very much nobody tells me what to do sound familiar american church we're coming in as we are sorry and the master walks in. We know the account, man. We know the parable. And he laser beams on this individual at the banquet table. And he says, what are you doing here? What's your deal? Did, did, were you not informed of the, of the prerequisite to be here, son? I'm good. I'm fine, master. Go ahead. Do your dinner. I'm right here by you. Yeah, let's go. Man, it does not go well for him, does it? We know he's cast out, gnashing of teeth. Worst thing is he's outside of the king's presence. That's what I say all the time. For years now, I've been saying, it's not about what we get. The awesome reality is that we get to be in the presence of the king. Everything else, what we're eating, what we're wearing, what we're doing, all these other things, ah, y'all can all bicker over that. I'm in the presence of the king? Me? Mephibosheth. That has to be our original arriving at receiving the restoration promise of the king. And it has to be our ongoing first love reality for the rest of our days. I don't deserve to be here. I do not deserve to be at the king's table. I'm a wretched dog. I came in here with nothing. I'm shameful. I was shameful. I was dark. I had no word. I had no life. I had nothing but, but curse upon my life. Praise the Father for his redemption. And what? I shakah again. I shakah again and again and again and again for the rest of my days in awe that I'm sitting crippled at the table. So we've just covered what's going to be part one of two because the name of this two-part series, Absolute Two Parts, don't get nervous, Crippled at the Table, Barely Delivered. Crippled at the Table, Barely Delivered. So we just covered, obviously, the crippled at the table. Next, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, Barely Delivered. The Lord told me this during my prayer time this morning. I'm going to share about it next. So make sure you tune back in. You've been watching and listening to the Path to Zion podcast. Find us online 24-7 at pathdesign.com. Send us an email if you want to join in what we're doing here, if you want to get together and have coffee, if you want to come visit us. Man, we had somebody email us last night and said, can we meet up and come to my house? I'll come to your house. You are striking a chord with what the Father's been showing me for a very long time, and I've, I have felt alone. Praise the, praise the Father, man. Seriously. There is a remnant people that are willing to come out from among them and literally to no end, no boundaries, no, no limits, 
be set apart. So if that's you as well, you're not alone. Send us an email, pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Share these videos. I think it's time for this word to go out. It's time for the church to, to come out and just embrace who she's been. Remember constantly where we've been and that the king has said, I have made a covenant with the Father and I'm coming to get you. I'm sending out messages and messengers to retrieve you. And if you're willing to just say, you know what? I am a dead dog. I am. And you come and I'm going to give you promises, covenantal promises that I will tell you are for you if you show up, if you nafel, if you shakah. It's the pattern of our lives. It's the pattern of humanity. It's to just acknowledge our depravity, our sin, our shame, and come to the king's table and trust that the king is good. The king is kind. The king is incredibly awesome. And we've been invited to sit at his table. Crippled and all, we've been at the table, but barely delivered. Part two coming up next. Thank you for watching. Amen.